Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey Hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Capita. Capita's software solution seeks to automate the equity management process for startups, including workflows around cap tables, ESOPs, due diligence, and transactions. Sign up at Capita.com to get started with your digital cap table, ESOP, award granting, and all things equity. Free for companies with under 25 stakeholders. Also powered by Limitless Connect. Limitless Connect can provide digital CX solutions. The teams of Limitless Connect have years of CX experience, which equip them as the driving contact centers in the future. Sign up for a free consultation with Limitless Connect at www.limitlesscx.com. With Limitless Connect by your side, anything is possible. Also powered by Podmachine, the simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. In terms of other people, all marketing is FOMO. Let's take a product and say how wonderful it is and then convince you that everybody else is buying it, so you should too, right? That's aspiration and heard. And so as a business owner or you know anybody else who's trying to create a product, if you can figure out how to use FOMO, and if you can use FOMO to highlight how great something is, then you can actually harness that power to build a business. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share podcast. We are now four years old. And again, when you turn four, you're not just going to let a random episode happen. We had to get 
one amazing guest to have it. And again, I'm glad he agreed to be a part of this episode because I've been wanting to get him on the show for a while now. And since I met him a few months ago, early last or late last year. But again, super duper honored to have this guy on the show. So without further ado, let's welcome to the show. Mr. Patrick McGinnis of Homo Sapiens. Welcome to the show, Patrick. How's it going? Hey, happy anniversary. Thank you so much. And again, big, big honor that it's you that I am going to have. Because again, for those who know, I'll jump the gun a little bit. You guys know the word FOMO, right? So everybody uses FOMO. And again, Filipinos... Live by the word FOMO more than anything. The guy who invented the word fear of missing out. That acronym is Patrick J. McGinnis. But before I get carried away, Patrick, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Patrick, what's your hustle? I do investing, I do writing, and I do podcasting. Nice combo. I love it. Investing. Writing and combo. And again, you're a best-selling author. And some other stuff too, by the way. Right? <laughs> so I should really give you, I would say what I do is I connect ideas, capital, and people across the world. Yep. Boom. Yep. And again, that's an amazing hustle. And again, what we will do today is we're going to dissect how all of that triumvirate technically blends in together because you guys are, you've been doing an amazing job. But before I get carried away, Patrick, I need you to buckle up real quick. All right. Because I need to go to the origin story. I'll, uh, I'm going to be a little bit like Ant-Man and go all the way back to the origin of you because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right. There you go. This is my DeLorean right there. (laughs) All right. Because again, I want to understand how things started. So before you became an investor, before you became a writer, before you became a podcaster, I want to understand... How was it like growing up? Did entrepreneurship even have an impact in your life or were you exposed to entrepreneurship early on? What was it growing up like? So yes and no. Can I answer that? It's complex. Okay. Basically, I grew up in a place where most people were not entrepreneurs. Most people had jobs for companies or the government. Like my dad worked for the government. My mom worked for a little company in our town. I grew up in a small town in the state of Maine. Oh, which is, yeah, it's very, we're known for our lobsters. Yeah, New England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So 20,000 people, about the size of like one block in BGC. Oh my God. My math. <laughs> wow. You know what I mean? I love the Filipino and, uh, reference, by the way. Localizing yeah, right, that right. content. I'm trying. I'm trying. What can I say? <laughs> and so anyway, but as a kid, I think like many kids, I did like slightly entrepreneurial things. We have, you know, this concept of yard sales in the United States, which is, yeah. We call it garage sales in the Philippines. Well, we call it garage sale too. We, yeah, exactly. So you get it. So we would do that. I was constantly selling stuff on the side of the road. Mm. I also had a paper route delivering papers. Nice. So I had these little things in high school. I used to make money by, I taught piano. So I had a bunch Whoa. of students. So I mean, I, like, I, I kind of worked for myself from a young age to some degree. Uh-huh. But the idea of being an entrepreneur, I never considered that as a career path. It was just not even on my radar. So I would right. say I didn't have the role models per se of people who were doing it full time other than people like, you know, I knew people who, for example, owned a diner or operated, you know, had a Dairy Queen franchise or something, but not people who were like building scalable businesses and, and you know, that kind of stuff. It just didn't really exist in my world. 
that. But in terms of role models, of course, we all have big influences over how we do our stuff, how we how our work ethic is, whether it's verbal or just seeing people grind through what they're doing. Who were those for you and how did that affect you? Or again, how did that leave their mark on how you, you do what you're doing? Yeah. So I think where I come from in New England, all my grandparents were immigrants from Canada. And so everybody worked in factories and shoe factories and wool factories. And like, wow, people worked very, 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 very hard. Like my sort of ancestors were like people who would just work themselves to the bone and then they would retire and just like sit there and just like wait, wait to die. That was just kind of a culture. Okay. I mean, it's depressing. I'm sorry, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Us Catholics, you know what I mean? We're just looking for, I don't know what we're looking for. <laughs> it was like a very much like a Catholic, hardcore work, kind of trying to move ahead. People who came to the United States without a lot of money and then saved and saved and saved every penny and had one pair of shoes their entire life. So oh, I was man. raised in like a very much of a hustle environment where it's like you work extremely hard, you save every penny, and then, you know, you try to take that money to invest in education and stuff like that. So that was ingrained in me from an early age. And I think that more than being an entrepreneur, actually, the thing that's funny about that, though, is that actually tends to be quite the opposite. Mm. It's much more about like, I'm going to work for the system and I'm going to work for like this big company and like, I will stay there my entire life. And that was really mm. my mindset. It's like, get a job and hold it forever and try to just stay there. Right. And so that's a totally different mindset. But I think the hard work aspect, and the grinding and the hustle aspect to, to some degree comes from there. That is amazing. Now, I want to understand now in terms of like pushing this hustle that you've grown up with, right? Mm. I'll just skip a little bit because when I met you, I was just astonished. I was trying to hold my job this whole time. Like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. I love what you do. And you're a citizen of the world. You've seen how hustle is. You've seen the good sides of the world, bad sides of the world. But in terms of going back all the way through. So you won't be able to get access to that and now even do entrepreneurship if you weren't able to create a very solid and unique skill stack. Mm. I want to understand one thing. So you you already have a good foundation of grinding and hustle. So not everybody has that. Unfortunately, I just discovered this through life. Like, oh my God, not everybody can go through a specific or a long period of persistent grind. Most people give up. Right. And if you haven't seen that happen, my God, then it's going to be very hard for you to do. But for you, after growing up like this, having side hustles, when did you start building the skill stack that you already have now? Like, what are those core skills that you had to develop early on that paved the path for you now? I love that question. I've never asked that. It's a good question. Wow. Okay. So here's what I'd say What are my core skills today? Mm. Number one, I would say, kind of like, basic kind of being aware of a lot of things, like just like being connected to the world, being curious, curiosity, Mm, Yes, which is people don't think that's a skill. That's a total, that is a skill. Like it's a, it's a trait, but it's also a skill. So curiosity is number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I would say like the ability to take my ideas and communicate them in a compelling way is number two. Okay. And number three, I think is like my ability to translate things into action. Okay. So whether it's meeting people or whatever, just like, how do I take the things that I'm doing and like make things happen? So those three things, and I've never thought about this before in this way. So I, I really like this question. They started like, like anything else kind of early. So the curiosity mm. thing, I was the kid who was constantly made fun of because I like oh, wow. dorky things. Mm. 
I was really into the piano, okay? Yep. I loved history. I loved all this like stuff like that that people were just like I didn't fit in where I grew up at all. People yeah. like my brother and I, my brother's a jazz musician in New York City, right. very successful. Like people ruthlessly mocked us all the time for being creative types, right? Because that wasn't very cool where I grew up. Right. I didn't care at all. I really I was like, ah, what I'm getting out of here. Like you can mm-hmm. make fun of me all you want. Mm-hmm. But I think that sort of curiosity and willingness that was really encouraged by my parents who said, listen, like, if you're interested in X, Y, Z, great. Like, we're going to do that thing. You want to know about American history? Like, let's get in the car and drive to Boston wow. and go see the, like, Paul Revere's house or whatever. So that oh my God. that curiosity bit was, mm-hmm. was fomented early and also by tons of reading. Nice. So I read and read and read and read and read and read. It was a kid. It's like, oh, I had no friends, just but books. I mean, I had a few friends, but more books. <laughs> Then the communications bit as a kid, because I really, really want to lean into my nerdy brand. Mm. I did speaking competitions. I was in plays. I practiced speaking as a kid. I was giving like these, I mean, it's so funny. I made this like this speech in high school about how like the American flag was sacred, which now I'm like, well, I believe in the constitutional right to burn a flag if you want. (laughs) You know, but at the time I was like, I had a little flag, I would wave it around. I mean, it was amazing. Right. But that kind of theatrical stuff, it all translates into what I do today with speaking and stuff and podcasting and books and things. And then the third is turning ideas into action. And I was just always a hustle. I was a grinder. Like I would, I mean, it's a little excessive, but like Mm -hmm. in high school, I would read the chapters of the book that weren't assigned to me because I was like, what if, wow, what if the teacher puts a question? Now I don't recommend that right? because at some point you just need to get things done and not, you know, you don't need to know everything, especially nowadays. Like Mm -hmm. that's why we have chat GPT, but (laughs) I was, I was really focused on winning. And so I was like the president of all the clubs. I I mean, it was a little crazy. If you've ever seen the movie election, I was just like that girl, Mm -hmm. Tracy Flick, Mm -hmm. where I went to school wearing like a business like I'd wear like a blazer to my high school. Like I, oh cause I goodness. thought I was like the CEO of the high school. Right. It was nuts, but right. I just knew how to like, if I wanted to get an A on a test, if I wanted to get a high score in the SAT, like I just knew how to do it because I was like, I'm just going to work so hard until I know I, I had a rule. I had to be ready to take a test three days before so that I could relax for three days before the exam. That is intense. That is intense. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot, right? A lot. And again, that's a rare skill because as an entrepreneur, you have to be contrarian because if you're just following the the herd every single time and you don't see where where the path leads, where everybody's probably going down a cliff, mm-hmm. then it's going to be very difficult. And these are the things that you've developed very early on. But I want to understand now, when you got to your first few hustles, how did you hone these base skills that you got? And can you talk about stories of like curiosity? How did you even double down on that in a certain job being competitive? Did that grow into certain opportunities that you've seen that eventually opened up more doors? How did that work? Yeah. So I think for me, it was interesting because I was very like renegade in some ways, Mm. but at the same time, I knew that if I played by the rules within the specific system, at least this is what I thought at the time. Like, I know how to get an A. I know how to get a job on Wall Street and work really hard and get a good bonus. Like, so I was very much invested in like system plays where like, okay, there's a system. If I just work hard and crack the code, like I can succeed within that system. Got it. Which interestingly kind of makes you almost like risk averse in a sense, because somebody else Mm -hmm. has made those rules and you are playing by their rules. And so my first job out out of college was working in a bank. 
Mm. And I was working in the Latin America. I lived in Argentina in college and fall in love with Argentina and Latin America. Wow. So I was working at a bank. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, like I was just like a little rule follower. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to avail myself of all of the resources of this company and the training and all these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do exactly what they ask of me, exactly how they want it to be. Now, I think that's good. I'm glad I did that because I think it was like good to learn right. how to be like, how to deliver a product, you know, whether it's like a presentation or whatever you have to do as a banker. Like it's good to just learn how to do something well mm-hmm. and excellently and, and on a timeline and like formatted and all that stuff. But it also makes you like, it's the opposite of entrepreneurship because you're basically just doing other people's bidding. Yep. Right. Yep. And so that was the hard thing for me is as I moved along in my career, it's like, how do you go from being really good at what somebody else wants from you to you charting your own course? And so like, I learned a lot. I did all the sort of things that were expected from me, but what I couldn't figure out and what really I struggled to do was, was to think about like, okay, well, what do I want to do? Right. And that was really hard. I mean, I was, I was investing. My first job was doing venture capital after banking for a year and a half. Wow. I got involved in venture capital in Latin America. So I was investing in the first wave of big startups in Latin America, companies wow. that are now on the NASDAQ 100 and are stuff like that. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an awesome job. And I loved it. But I was always like, oh, this entrepreneurs are, this job sucks. Like what? I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'd rather just give them money and I can like chill. Right. And so I think that, to be honest, like I was very disconnected from that part of myself. Right. And and a lot of people are actually stuck in that Kafkaesque cycle. It can be Kafkaesque mm. where you don't even I see the Kafka reference. Right. The nice. you don't see the end goal and it just uh, grim the whole time. Right. But I want to understand, you know, how do you find that meeting? Just again, that's where I'll do a basketball reference. You have to find the game within the game, and that's when you really see the light. Right. Because if you just go through the grind, all you realize that, oh my God, I'm retirement age. And I just literally work myself to the bone and you don't find any meaning. And that's one of the things that, again, entrepreneurship gives you. Again, obviously, we're biased because we're both entrepreneurs because you find meaning in whatever we're trying to solve and in our businesses. But in a corporate setting, when you're trying to do that, how do you start seeing the light when everything also around you was grim and dark? Yeah, well, this is what happened. I had to go through the dark, dark, dark place. Okay. So here's how it went down. So I was very successful in my job okay. mm-hmm. working. I had moved on actually from the Latin America stuff. I'd gone to Harvard Business School. And so I came out of there. I got a job working in a private equity investment firm. And my private equity firm, actually, we had an office in Manila, believe it or not. Oh, okay. I know. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to go, unfortunately. Actually, I did go one time. All right. I thought Manila was the dark place that you were talking about. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? No. It's like the opposite. It's okay. it's, a, it's sunny and people are nice. And there's like, <laughs> and you can get caldo. Like what? It's a perfect yes. place. <laughs> so in Babinka, if you're there at the right time of the year. Yes, absolutely. So anyway, I was investing in companies and we did have an office. We were investors in a company called People Support. Oh, call centers. We were in investors in a, a, co- a company called Ibex that you know well because your office My is My neighbor next- right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did come to the Philippines in 2007, believe it or not, to check it out. And it was great. But I'm investing in all these companies and things are going well and I'm moving up and I'm making more money every year and I'm on boards of companies and it was cool. I was investing in companies all over the place. I had investments in Pakistan, Philippines, China, Colombia, Turkey. 
I'm running around. And then unfortunately, at well, now it's fortunate, but at the time I it was unfortunate. My company that I worked for was called AIG. Oh my. Um, which you may have heard of. They were like right in the middle of the 2008 financial crisis. Like they were the company that was like, they were like the SXF of 2008. Do you know what I mean? Like everything just blew up. Oh my God. I had stock in the company that I had bought and it fell 97% in like a week. Oh my God. Yeah, it was mind blowing. I was like, holy macro. Like, it's not like this was like some stupid crypto startup. This was like the world's like largest insurance company. Do you know what I mean? It was like, exactly. It's not like it was crazy. And so then I woke up. First of all, they, I was like, I had a like breakdown. I got really stressed about the whole thing. I ended up getting super sick, stress related illness. I ended up on a heart monitor. Yeah, it was crazy. And, Basically, I woke up like a week later and I was like, wow, like I really made a mistake here. I've chosen the wrong path. I went to what I thought was safe. Right. And, you know, I liked my job fine, but it wasn't like perfect, but I was okay. But I was kind of like, it was frustrating. There were a lot of issues at my company that had me constantly pissed off and frustrated and whatever. But then I was like, okay, I've I've kind of made this deal with the devil to work for this company. Right. And now everything's gone. And what can I do? And I realized in that moment, that I had to stop, like from now on, I had to take control of my destiny. And that if I fail, it has to be because I have failed, not because, you know, company messes up, which is what I didn't like our company went bankrupt because like some people I didn't know had made stupid investments. Yep. Right. And I was just like, I'm not doing that again. And so that was the moment when I thought to myself, like, I should try something different. All my friends who were entrepreneurs, they take risks too, but they have all this upside and control and autonomy and they build their own things. Like, I have to figure out a way to get there. I didn't know how. Wow. And it took a long time to get there, but that was my big moment when I was like, forget it. Like the system stinks. Right. It's a lie. It's completely misleading. And I'm not going to play this game anymore. Forget it. I've had a similar experience where, again, I, my first company went belly up. And during those dark times, you're so vulnerable and you don't even know if what you're thinking is straight. Mm. And But you've had this eureka moment, but how did you f- take those first steps? Because that's usually the most crucial ones. If you say, again, had false starts and you had another stumbling block along the way, I'm not sure if you'd still push through with that idea that, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur or I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. What were the moves and what are those things that prepared you to really trudge on and, and never look back? So I did nothing immediate, first of all. So I think the natural response is to be like, wow, this is terrible. I'm going to quit my job and start a company, right? Like, that's what I want to do. I want to quit my job and figure out my life. However, I was like, I, that's not the way I was raised. I was raised to be relatively risk averse. Okay. Like, I want a paycheck. Okay. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And so I did nothing. I simply, well, what I did was this, actually. Okay. Our company was put up for sale. And I was like, well, we'll see how that goes. Maybe we'll be acquired by Goldman Sachs and then it'll be, you know, I'll go work there and la la la. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. And as the process went on, the process dragged on forever. It went on, seriously, it went on for like yep. a year and a half. Oh, wow. As that happened, I just slowly checked out of the workplace. I started, I mean, I still went to work, obviously, and I did my work, yep. but I kind of just did what I needed to do. I started to realize, wow, you can get a lot done in like three hours a day. Like, it used to take me 10 hours. <laughs> 
to do what I did in three because I was just like, let me get it done and then let me go to the gym mm. and get my health back because I needed to be healthy before I could do anything else. So totally. I got healthy. I got in shape. You know, I lost like 25 pounds, you know, wow. worked out all the issues. Oh, yeah. It was a whole situation. And then I was like, what am I going to do? And then I realized I was deeply and fundamentally burned out. Mm. And so I decided to take a sabbatical. Wow. I took a sabbatical for about six months to a year. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of savings. I had saved and saved. Like the beauty of being from New England is you save like every dollar you ever made. So I had yes. tons of savings. So I took a break and I went away to Europe and, you know, did like eat, pray, love or whatever. <laughs> and I saw the movie Vicky Cristina Barcelona on a plane. So I went to Barcelona. Okay. And I watched every game of the World Cup in 2010. Are you and, kidding me? Wow. Yeah. Okay. All of them. Even like Paraguay, China. Watch that one. I mean, nobody watched that game. I was the only one. That's amazing. But I did. I watched it. And it was awesome. And then when I came back from this trip, I felt refreshed, like a new man. I was very like free and easy. And then I had to sit down and say, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I thought back to like, what have I loved the most? And it was investing in startups, getting involved with startups. And so that was what I kind of did. I sort of set up a system whereby I did consulting work to pay my bills because I never wanted to live out of my savings. Correct. And on the side, I started investing in companies and starting companies and building a portfolio of entrepreneurial activities that I'm still running today. So that was kind of, I just didn't do anything. I didn't go from like one day to the next to being an entrepreneur. I became an entrepreneur 5%, then 10%, then 20%, then 25 and you know, and all the way up to where I am today. So it was very incremental because I wasn't comfortable just jumping in. I needed to like sort of slowly acclimate myself to that. Now, last question before we take our first break. Mm. What is it about investing in startups that made you really zero in on that? Is it because of the thrill? Because again, you could have done so many other things and with that newly and refreshed energy that you've done, the world is a vast new horizon. It's a whole, you're like a gazelle in a savannah and I'm like, all right, I can go in any direction and I can freaking nail this because you now see the horizon, right? But what about that? Just you said earlier that it felt like you didn't like doing that at the very early start of your career. Like, you know, this is shit. To all of a sudden have a totally different point of view where, wow, this is exciting. What changed? Okay. So Ron, I love it because you're looking at it like you are like a pure entrepreneur. And so your perspective is like gazelle in the Serengeti and like running around. <laughs> yes. like, I was like, I'm a gazelle and there's like seven predators that want to eat me. Oh, Wow. And so I liked investing. That was like the thing I had done well at and enjoyed mm-hmm. in startups. Like in the earliest part of my career, when I first started backing these entrepreneurs, I loved mm-hmm. it. And then later on, as I got into bigger companies and there was a lot of politics, uh, I was less, and my company was a little crazy. Got it. it was very political, unfortunately. I can't get into it because it's like, we'd need another seven episodes. <laughs> there were all these issues with incentives and structure and right. whatever. Like if you don't have the right structure in a company, like you can't fix, you can't get things done. Anyway, so I got out of there when I started to do my own thing. And I was like, well, the one thing I know I do well and that I'm comfortable with and where I have a network is investing. Mm. So I went back and reactivated all of my contacts in that world, which was a whole process. But that was my comfort zone. I had no idea of what to do for a business. I had negative ideas, in fact. So like the idea of starting a company terrified me because I'm not a good ideas guy. I am now, but maybe I didn't. I was then, but I didn't have confidence Mm. that I was a good ideas guy. Mm-hmm. So that was it. That's amazing. All right. Our first week, and when we come back, we will now talk about how you did the jump. Mm-hmm. If you were a gazelle, you said you were being chased by a cheetah, a jaguar, and a lion. How did you beat them all to the punch and got to the oasis? Well, let's talk about that more after the break. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate your growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph. That's saschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with Patrick J. McGinnis, who then told us the origin story of how he was able to do this. But again, if you're already blown away at the first start, we're just getting started, man, because this is just about to get more epic as we go. So prior to the break, Pat, what you told me was, this is a whole new opportunity. You weren't sure if you're a good ideas guy. You already had the itch. The bug is within you. You had to take that jump one way or another. What was that like? And what was the first step you took to scratch that itch? Yeah. And for everybody listening, I think like this is a place that so many people pass through. So if you're in that spot right now, I get you. I see you. Mm-hmm. It's so uncomfortable. I feel so uncomfortable when you're like, I know I want to do this thing. I don't know what I want to do yet. Some people mm-hmm. like that. I feel like it's like you're wearing like clothing that doesn't fit you right. Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, or you go to the party, you walk into that party and you don't know anybody. Yep. Yeah. It's massive imposter impos- syndrome. <laughs> right, which is oh, totally. And like now I go to the party and I don't know anybody. I'm like, oh, these people are so lucky. They're about to meet me. Yes. But then I was like, right? Yeah. Okay. So here's what happened. So like I quit my job. Okay. I take sabbatical of six months to a year, which was like good. It was really good. But I just kind of, you know, I didn't do a lot. I was sort of like hanging. It was great. But then I came back and I rented an office at a WeWork, the second ever WeWork in the entire universe. Oh, okay. Right now, okay. this WeWork, it's closed now because, you know, WeWork blew up. But <laughs> yep. at the time, this was like 2011, my friend. Okay. I was like, this WeWork thing, like, 
wow, like what a great idea. Like what is this, you know, co work like who right, knew? Right. So I, I get this WeWork office mm-hmm. and then I just go in every day and I sit there and I'm like, okay, like what should I do? <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> and then I started like basically meeting with everybody I'd ever met in my entire life. And so the first thing that happened was I was introduced to this venture capital firm in Latin America, which of course, where I started my career doing exactly that. Yep, yep. And they had raised a fund and some of the investors were people I had invested in back in the day. And so they invited me to Brazil to go to this conference. Ooh. They were like, if you come to this conference, you're going to meet everybody. You can get started. And I was like, okay, good. So I fly to Brazil okay. and the airline loses all my stuff. And what? I know so bad. They lost, like they it. lost it, was, it, everything? You didn't even get it? It took like a week to oh get it back. God. I actually wrote a letter to the CEO of Delta and they actually gave me all my money back and like a bunch of miles. Are you I was so upset Because I went to this conference and I, then I show up, I have no nothing. I like I had to spend half my time like getting close. It was really annoying. <laughs> and I think, and I was so frustrated. And then I go to this conference. It's very full of people. I don't know anybody. And then right. there's like these VCs which okay. I had done this job before, there was a right. panel of VCs speaking who knew nothing of the region. They were like brand new from the United States yeah. and people were like mobbing them. Mm. And I just thought to myself, like that could have been me if I'd stuck it out, you know, but here I am now, I'm a nobody. And I just felt like I blew it. I was like, oh man, like now there's like a new generation of people. Right. Like I'm nobody. I think I cried a little actually. I was just so frustrated. I was like, I don't have my luggage. Nobody knows who I am. I'm starting over. This is sucks. And like, yeah. it was like a little tender. And then um, I met people at that conference and I ended up investing a little bit of money because I, you know, I'd saved, I invested a little bit into one company and another. And like that began the process and I built a profile. Okay. And then, you know, the next year, the same conference, I was one of the speakers, you know, I just had to like hmm. be patient. You know, that was the beginning. And from there, I started getting more and more involved in early stage ventures and then started to work with them more and consult more. And, and that was the beginning. But, you know, I made a lot of obviously really easy to have predicted mistakes in the process. Mm-hmm. But that was the beginning, like going down there, getting on a plane, spending time trying to figure out, like, how do I plug into this ecosystem and how do I make a living out of it? That was the first step. All right. A lot of people go through this process. I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate to you at this point now where, all right, where do I start? And I feel like, shit, I feel like I don't belong here. What are the moves that mattered the most that really created that momentum? Because again, there's several things to unpack here. Of course, you want to get the opportunities for businesses and whatnot. That can be black and white. But at the end of the day, this process, you have to validate yourself and kind of build up your confidence at the same time. And that can be a hit or miss. Because even if you're making progress, say, on the business side and you see opportunities play black and white with you, takes a while for you to give yourself a pat on the back. Like, hey, you're actually doing pretty good. How did you get over that hump? Yeah. You know, the first step is so critical. I think the first thing you need to do is have your story straight. So, and I didn't, by the way. So I'd roll up to this conference. People were like, well, who are you? And I was like, well, I did this and that. And da, 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 da. you know, you need to have an elevator pitch. Like, who are you? Why are you here? And what do you want? And so to do that is not easy because especially when you're in transition, in your career, you don't know. You're like, well, I don't know what I want to do, but you have to sort of figure out a first answer. And the way that I did that actually, so I went through this whole process and I wrote about this in my first book, The 10% Entrepreneur. Like my book, literally each chapter is like the story of how I figured out what I wanted to do. I took and wrote a long bio of myself, like a very comprehensive bio. And then I read it a million times and was like, what is this telling me? 
Well, it's telling me these are my skills. Here's what I've done. And here's my sort of unique selling proposition. Right. And then I connected that to like, well, what do I want to do next? Well, I don't quite know, but what I know what I can offer to other people. And so it's like anything else. If you look at a company, a startup that launches a product, like say you look at Uber. When Uber launched, it was a ride-sharing app. Now it delivers like everything, food and you know packages and all this stuff, and they got a helicopter and you know whatever. You don't need to know the answer over here at the end, but you have to have like the first bit of it. The opportunity that people miss out on is like showing up and like having being able to explain to people like who you are and why you're there. I'd say the vast majority of people struggle with that, as did I. And what's so ironic is you have people who have no credentials. But just because they are great storytellers, yes. yeah, they'll be like, you know, they'll convince people. You start to learn this in the world of startups. How many people yep. are total fakes, right? Mm-hmm. Charlatans and hustlers. There you go. Hundred percent. Like, oh, you have a new crypto coin <laughs> based on the setting of the sun. Oh my god! Wow. But it's true. It's really sad. I mean, this is like the thing that kind of just think about it. If you are a credible person, it's like, why is it that some BS artist out there? is able to portray themselves when they have nothing to back it up. And you, the person who have all the skills, aren't able to do that. Like You need to cross that chasm so that you can take that market share for yourself. That's a skill in itself. And every entrepreneur should master that. I know we all have our tendencies. Some of us are naturals because they're extroverts. Some of us are introverts. But it's inevitable. If you're going to be the guy, you're going to have to learn this skill because at the end of the day, communication and simplifying that communication skill is key. If people cannot understand what you do in a TLDR manner, it's going to be an uphill climb because what you're going to end up is just like everybody else where you're going to bombard me with features and why this is such a great product when all I really need to know is what the fuck do you do? (laughs) You know, it's so hard too. What's messed up about this whole thing, which is like, this is where it gets real. It's really easy to do TLDR when you work in a company. I work at this company and I do this. Yep. You know what I mean? I work at you know, the shopping mall and I work at the Apple store. I work at a call center and I'm Mm -hmm. a customer service agent, whatever that is for you. When you do something unconventional or you're starting something, that is where it takes the hard work because like, I don't know what I do. You're like, I'm starting a company. Like, I don't even quite know what I'm doing yet. We're still figuring out the business model. That is way harder. Like if I was to step into your, like your business is evolving, right? It's like, well, Ron, Mm -hmm. what do you do? Like, I don't know. So I'm sorry to like take over your show, but like, how would you answer that? Now, it's very simple. I help podcasters make the production of their content easier. And I'm a podcaster too. Very simple. One, two sentences. I'll give you a seven out of 10 on that. No, I'm just kidding. Right. I, was kidding. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. My bad. <laughs> if I had a minute more, I would have nailed that as a 10 right there. No, that was good. I listen to everybody. When I met Ron in Manila, I was like, wow, this guy is like a magical unicorn from the sky. No, I'd heard about you too. And I was like, this guy's going to be good. And then you show up and you're like, boom. All right. But again, this is about you because I had. Sorry, sorry. Let me take over your show. I was that, but 10x. Because again, I need to understand (laughs) how you change the world. Where does FOMO come into this picture? And how did that even come through? Because obviously that word changed your life. Walk me through this and how does that fit into the timeline of what you were doing as you were trying to figure this out? All right. Would you believe that it all goes back to Pope Francis? Okay. <laughs> Pope it Francis, does. when he got yeah. canonized? Is that the proper term? Or He did. You know, he had already been Pope for a while. He'd been getting his Pope, Poping. He'd been Poping got around. It. Okay, so here's what happened. So I was working for myself. 
I was doing what I call the 10% entrepreneur, which is the idea of spending 10% of my time, money, and energy, investing, advising, starting things on the side. Okay. Meanwhile, I was consulting to make sort of my steady income. That was what I was doing. That was kind of the... the That's the, the shtick. Yeah. And I was combining kind of like the stability of having a day job with the excitement and opportunity of being an entrepreneur. That was my whole mindset. Right. And all my friends and just like people started hearing about this approach. People didn't really do this. This is kind of a new concept. So I branded it and started writing about it. And I wrote a book proposal and I got an agent through a lot of like luck and things like that. We sent the proposal out and I was rejected 33 times by publishers. Yeah. Wow. It's rough out there. Ouch. Now my agent never told me. She didn't tell me because she didn't think, I don't think she thought I could handle it. She's right. <laughs> all but right. I, so I was in the middle of all of this. And then I went to Buenos Aires. Argentina. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a place I had lived. And so I have a lot of friends there. And I have this one friend called Luciana. And Luciana's dad was a musician, a folk singer. And he was close with Pope Francis. And so he had been in Rome visiting the Pope. And because Pope Francis, Argentinian, again, if you're living under a rock, he's the first South American Pope ever. And he's great. So they had all these things blessed. We had dinner in Argentina. In fact, I just went to that restaurant with her like last week. I was down in Argentina. She's like, I feel like I should just give this to you. And she gave me an image of the Virgin Mary that was blessed by the Pope. And I was like, wow, this is insane. So I brought it home. And then like, All these things started to happen. I mean, it was crazy. And I'm not a highly religious person, but I kind of have to hand this one to the Pope because literally a couple weeks later, I got a call from a reporter saying, hey, I'm writing an article about this concept of FOMO. I've been researching it and I found that you're the first person to ever use the term. Are you kidding me? Wow. How long? When did you even come up with the word? Well, I'll tell you in a sec. So Uh I was like, yeah, I did. I invented this 10 years ago when I was in school. I wrote an article in the school newspaper. And he said, yeah, I know. And I, because it was on the internet, right? It's all provable on the internet. Right, right. I was like, well, why do you care? Why do you want to talk to me? And he said, well, it's in the dictionary. So then he's like, can I interview you? I was like, where do you live? And he said, I'm in Boston. And it just happened that the next day I was going to Boston for my 10 year anniversary from business school. It was exactly 10 years after I'd written the article. You know, he interviewed me. And then a couple months later, I was back in Argentina. And then on the plane back, I was taking off to fly to New York. Okay. And somebody sent me an article, the article that he had written. And it was all about the story of FOMO. And the article was going viral. And by oh the time I got God. back to the States, it had gone viral. And a week later, I had a book deal. Oh, my goodness. I was kind of like, whoa, the Pope like really got involved in my life. <laughs> Divine intervention through the image of Mary right there. Honestly, the Pope has better things to do than worry about me and FOMO. But I do <laughs> want to give appropriate credit to the Pope. That is amazing. But again, you planted the seeds. You wouldn't have written that. It would have been dug out. But again, paint me this picture. When did you write the article? And what yeah. year was this when this was happening? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you're absolutely right. One thing you should know out there, everybody, is when you create content, mm-hmm. it lives. Now, it can be that could be bad, right? Because you always hear about like some politician, they like <laughs> yes, took a picture that was inappropriate oh, like 30 years meme. ago. And, you're a meme forever. Yeah. <laughs> so don't do that. But it can be that you write an article or create something that years later just resonates. And so what happened with me was I was living in New York on September 11th, 2001. And the night before I had taken the GMAT, which is the entrance exam to business school. So I took the GMAT 
that night I went out with all my friends to celebrate. I saw the Twin Towers, which like oh, many of you goodness. were, that was what, 20 years ago, 22 years ago. So anybody under the age of like 25, you're not going to remember any of this. But let me tell you, it was crazy. Like they attacked the Twin Towers. I lived in New York City. I was, I saw the whole thing. And that experience was kind of like in the pandemic where like your world changes very drastically. Yep. Yep. And you just are like, wow, like the world is so messed up. Like I need to live every day like it's my last. I'm going to make the most of everything. And so I had this kind of carpe diem mindset. And when I went up to Harvard Business School, you know, I didn't know people who went there. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you think of it as this like very elite place. I'm mm-hmm. not from that kind of background. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, I was like, well, I have to take advantage of this. I have to do everything. Interview for all the jobs, go to all the parties, meet all the people, do all the things. And so with my carpe diem mindset, plus this really crazy environment, I tried to do everything. And I was just constantly stressed out trying to do and achieve and take part in everything. And I started realizing that it wasn't just me. It was everybody was like that. Yes. And I started calling that the fear of missing out or FOMO. And I started using it in 2002. And so when we graduated in 2004, I wrote an article kind of making fun of everybody. It was a humor article in the paper (laughs) all about this word that I had invented called FOMO. And that was it. That could have been the end of it all, except that my friends and my classmates and my neighbors all read the article and started using it. And then I had this one neighbor, this one neighbor who lived like a seven minute walk from me. His name, um, you might've heard of him. His name is Mark Zuckerberg. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What? So Mark was at Harvard when I was inventing FOMO, he was inventing Facebook and Facebook was the thing that made FOMO something all of us could feel. Yeah. It's built so, on that. It, yeah. So I haven't met Mark, but when I met Eduardo Severin, yep. I've met him a couple times and I was like, Eduardo, thank you so much for inventing Facebook because you made FOMO a thing. And he was like, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. So, all right, fast forward now to where we left off. So FOMO exploded. You now have a book deal. How did the word that you invented 10 years ago out of a humor article that again, somebody dug up? Right. And the internet is undefeated, guys. And digging shit up, by the way, be careful what you put out there. It is undefeated. So you make sure that you're only putting out stuff that you're proud of. And if you have dirty laundry, just don't use swear words. Like, Mm -hmm. try not to use swear words. Oh my God. I do a lot too much. (laughs) I I know. know. I I never swear. So I was like, Ron, you're so naughty. My bad. My bad. I, I just keep it real. But I want to understand how did that then change and propel your career moving forward? And where did it have a direct impact over the opportunities and then the stuff that you had to do after that? So when it first happened, my mind was really blown. When I got the call from the reporter, I knew it was special because you don't get knocks on your door like that very often. So I knew like this was potentially a game changer for me in terms of, you know, it was like a before and after kind of thing. I was like, kind of wanted to make sure that I didn't invest time and energy in something. Cause I was like, are you really sure, man? Like, I know I wrote this article and it was the first time, but like, what? And so I hired like this forensic investigator to like <laughs> go on the internet just and to verify. Like, yeah, I did. You know, if I'm going to spend time on this, I just want to make sure that we're like solid. Legit. Mm-hmm. So I, I did. And we were able to prove that out. And so that was great. And then. I got like a attorney to help me like start intellectual property and trademarks and stuff. Just, I mean, you could still use, you don't have to pay me to say the word FOMO, but I just wanted to like make sure that we did what we could. Mm -hmm. And then it was really a process of figuring out like what to do with this. What do I do with this thing? And 
it's been a journey because the thing is like having something like that happen and then actually like figuring out what you how you want to engage with it, mm. it's not clear. Like, mm. what do you do? Do you make an NFT? I mean, they didn't have the like, <laughs> 2011 you know, and 2012 they didn't have that yet. What's interesting about FOMO is like, remember when everybody was like, hashtag crazy, nobody mm-hmm. cares about hashtags are dead now. Like nobody cares yeah. about the hashtag. Yeah. FOMO somehow or another just continues to go on and on and on. So what I decided to do was I was really focusing around, I had written this book called The 10% Entrepreneur. I really focused on that. But in the background, I started to think about like, what can I do with it? Because the thing about The 10% Entrepreneur as a book was, it was really um, a great concept, but it's a very niche product. It's for people who want to be entrepreneurs. FOMO is for everybody. Everybody feels FOMO. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to write a book about it, to create a podcast about it, to start speaking about it and figure out what were the elements that could plug into other things. So it's about psychology. It's about sales. It's about marketing. It's about all these things. How do we take that concept and invest in the content and intellectual property and the ideas to take FOMO and make it relevant to lots of different people? And so that's what I've been doing the last couple of years with the FOMO thing. And that's manifested itself now into you know FOMO Sapiens podcast. I do a ton of corporate speaking. I wrote a book, which came out during the middle of COVID when nobody had FOMO. So that was kind of unlucky. But you can get it in the Philippines. There you go. I bought it when I was there. And so that's been what I've done with it. And I think, you know, I have other plans for it in the future, things that I can't quite talk about. But um, that's what I've done. That is amazing. Now, last question before we took our last break. Because I've never actually, I don't recall myself asking this question. Because being a podcaster where you get to dissect people's excellence or their FOMO or they're stick on a weekly basis, more than it being about, it's about them. We take so much. We get first dibs over whatever they can share. And that's just revolutionary. Like for me, my network grew exponentially because of the pod. I was never the same because of what I'm doing at Hustle Share. And again, I'm glad I'm doing this with you in my fourth year doing this because four years ago, yeah, okay, they know me as this local guy who, again, failed and created a startup. But now, I have roots all over the world. I have friends like you who's halfway across the world and we click, right? And I'm completely grateful for that. But in hindsight, what has this experience of turning FOMO into a content machine, especially turning into a podcast, done for you? And how did that affect your daily grind? Because there's profound effects. Like for me, I'm a way better communicator now. Whatever comes here comes out of my mouth naturally. And every single time I catch myself like, shit, I feel like I'm podcasting on this conversation right now, right? But those are the things that happens and it comes out naturally and I'm better in all aspects. How did that affect you? In a lot of ways. And I think the first thing I would say is that, so the FOMO thing, it's been wild because nobody ever says to me like, don't tell me more about that. So the ability to just meet famous people or accomplished people and they remember me because of FOMO. Like it's been cra- crazy to me how everywhere I go, I'm able to break through because I have a story that people find interesting and they really personally resonate with. And so, you know, I travel around the world speaking about my ideas. And like the only reason the selfies happen is because of FOMO. Everybody's like, my sister has FOMO, take a selfie. And that's when I realized <laughs> the power of that thing because it's such a personal thing that we all can relate to. Sure. And so, Some people come up with like, they invent like academic theory or whatever, and people respect that, you know, but like people don't feel that in their heart. They don't feel that in their daily existence. And so just my ability to meet people and connect with them is way higher than it ever was before. And so everybody's really nice to me, which I super appreciate. 
And it's awesome. Like that just makes daily life really fun and interesting. Also, I would say, yeah, like through the podcast and the speaking, I think I become much more comfortable telling my story in like a real way. Like, you know, in the beginning, you want everybody to think you're perfect and you're like, oh, like I wouldn't talk about before how I ended up on that heart monitor. I was ashamed of that. And now I realize like, well, everybody has their things they go through. And so just being able to tell my story. And I think one other thing that's really fun about the FOMO in particular is that it's global. So it's, yes. it's everywhere. And so like you go to Manila where I was in December and you meet people and like people get it. It's not like if I told yeah. you, oh, I invented like some, I don't even know, some random thing. And I, I opened a restaurant in New York City. You'd be like, well, that's yeah. super. But mm-hmm. it's not, doesn't really affect your daily life. It's not like Ron wakes up and is like thinking about my restaurant. Yeah. FOMO is for everybody. And so I think yes. that it's been amazing in that perspective. I've had people be like, oh, you know, you do too much FOMO stuff. You need to do, you know, you, and I'm like, I'm like, well, when you go and invent a word, you know, you come to me and you tell me what you're, you know, it's like, give me a break. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's about keeping it fresh. You got to be like Prince or Miles Davis. You always have to be finding new aspects of that. Yep. But this is a fundamental human condition and it exists every day. And so it's like, it is something that all of us can think about and right. work on. So that's how I think about it. It's relevant regardless of generation, generate. Actually, I think it just becomes more rampant now, right? You know, that FOMO, especially with how the world is designed to really make you feel jealous and you feel like, shit, I'm missing out, right? Yeah. And, and whatnot. Well, and- look at AI. I mean, with this AI stuff that's happening, all the chat GPT and or whatever, that's all FOMO. You know, like you ever look in like the Backstreet Boys eyes and they mm. know they've got like five years or BTS. Like you're like, mm. you got five years till you age out and then mm. you're done. And then it's like, what am I going to do with my life? The FOMO thing, I've been amazed at how resilient the concept has been and how mm. adaptable it is. And so it's been fun to, to like burn with it over time. Absolutely. All right. Now let's take our last break. And when we come back, let's continue the stories and paint forward and dissect further how Patrick does his hustle and how he now uses and wields the power of FOMO. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey, hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. 
You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with GCash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. Patrick McGinnis, I'm still super blown away of how unreal this whole story is. But Patrick, I want to understand one thing because again, FOMO can be interpreted as something that makes you do something that you don't really want to do, or it can be perceived negative because you're missing out. But how do you then, based on now how you've seen FOMO being used for over a decade now as a power that you've wielded, how do you use the power of FOMO to your advantage where you take control of it instead of you just reacting to it? How do you reverse that power? There are two ways to do that. The first is like the internal FOMO that you have. So FOMO to be an entrepreneur, FOMO to go to vacation in uh, Vietnam, FOMO <laughs> to, I mean, that is, that's a nice place to go. Uh, yep. FOMO to move to United States, okay. FOMO to, you know, all those things, right? 
FOMO to run a marathon, FOMO to start a podcast, mm-hmm. FOMO to buy crypto. We can go on and on, but you Whatever. get my point. Mm-hmm. All of those things. So if we think about the definition of FOMO, how do we define FOMO? FOMO is really two things. It's aspiration. It's the idea that there's something out there that's better than what you're doing right now. And oftentimes that is being fed by social media or media or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's an anxiety of us wanting more, bigger, better, faster. You know, that's why I call it aspirational FOMO because it's about us wanting more. And it's, you know, deeply embedded in our DNA. The earliest humans wanted more. They had to have want more to survive. You can't just be like, oh, this shelter is fine. Like this food is fine. No, to grow a race, you need to, or to grow a species, you need more and more and more. So that's element A. Element B is what I call herd FOMO. That's the idea that everybody's doing something. I don't want to be the only one. The herd is running over here. I don't want to be left out. Again, this goes back to the earliest humans. If they got separated from the tribe, they're in big trouble. And, you know, there's huge cultural stuff like this, right? That's us. And so I think, you know, the Philippines in particular is a pretty collectivist culture, right? It's a place where people are close to their families. There's yep. a lot of social ties. Like people are extremely social. I know like Kumu, like, you know, the app. Yep. Yep. You know, everybody's like together on that. So there are cultural components to this as well. Like in some countries where people are a bunch of loners, like mm. then the herd thing isn't as strong, right? So Correct. you have to like understand it in your own sort of cultural context. Yeah. Now, knowing that when you have FOMO, you can then unpack that FOMO. So like, why is it that I want to be an entrepreneur? Is it because you know, have I really thought carefully about the aspirational? Like, is it as good as it looks? Like, yeah, there's all this entrepreneurship porn out there that makes entrepreneurship seem fun, exciting, yep. <laughs> really rich. But like, you know, Gary V style and all that. But like, mm-hmm. is it real? Like, so you have to sort of unpack and dig into why you're feeling these things. And so in doing that, FOMO goes from being this sort of like external thing to like being something where you can actually think, is this a great way to motivate myself? FOMO is a powerful motivator as long as you've done the work to make sure that you really know why you're doing it. Right. So that's the part A. So that's how you deal with FOMO in yourself. And there's, I mean, I've done a bunch of work on this, but that's the short answer. Got it. In terms of other people, all marketing is FOMO. Yes. All marketing is, let's take a product and say how wonderful it is and then convince you that everybody else is buying it, so you should too, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. aspiration and herd. And so as a business owner or, you know, anybody else who's trying to create a product, Mm -hmm. if you can figure out how to use FOMO in an ethical way to present your product to your consumer, that means don't lie, you know, don't mislead people. But if you can use FOMO to highlight how great something is and why people should have it, then you can actually harness that power to build a business or to do other things, to convince somebody to marry you or whatever it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Now, on a personal side, again, you've been riding this FOMO train for a while now. And I've seen iterations of this, like, you know, something goes well for someone, goes to their head, and it all just fucking implodes. But one thing that I'm amazed with, and I've seen this in the flesh when I met you, when you were here a couple months ago, is how grounded you were. How did you prevent it from eating you up and making you think like you're bigger than you should have been? And you still kept being grounded and still took advantage and get that word out there in a healthy way rather than it going awry where it consumes you and you think you're larger than life. Oh, man, I wish I was like that. It would be easier, I guess, but I'm not. I think, listen, it's a couple of things. Number one, I think that having gone through all of the 2008, like my whole career blowing up, you become way more chill because you've been through like such a crazy traumatic failure. So you're sort of like, oh my God, like I know what it is 
to be on the bottom and like just feel like everything blew up. And by the way, I was probably over dramatic, but it was definitely felt really real to me. Mm-hmm. But I think also, and this is where people get it so wrong, is it's not about me. It's about the ideas and the people who consume them. Mm-hmm. The same with any business, like, you know, startup entrepreneurs go awry when they start to have success because they think it's all about their genius. Yes. They forget that the only reason they have a business is because of their team and their employees. And you have Absolutely. to be in service to those people at all times. And the minute you make it about you, you've lost the beginning the plot. of the end right there. Yeah. I've seen this happening and it breaks my heart when I see it. And sometimes it's so hard to like snap someone out of it. Like, dude, you are becoming you over the startup. And again, you're not Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> it's such a good lesson. It's such a good lesson. Like one thing I've learned the hard way, not that hard, but like I've learned kind of through experiences when you start doing this stuff, like in the beginning, I, so I started, you know, five years ago, six years ago, whenever it was, I started getting TV interviews and, you know, Ted Talks. all that stuff. Right. And it's like, it's such a sugar rush. You're like, yeah. Ooh, you know, and then you go on TV or whatever and it's so exhilarating and exciting. Then it's over and you just go home and like wash, brush your teeth or whatever. And you feel like you're like, you want more. It's kind of like a drug a little bit. Yeah. Like I feel really bad for like child actors or people who become really yeah. famous because it's like, it's a drug like anything else. And that's why you can't get it every day. So you find other ways, alcohol, drugs, whatever that is. Yeah, that high. Yeah, that high. It is like, and I was always like, man, if I were really famous, I'd be so screwed up. And so my big takeaway is that like, you really have to be careful about that high. And also that like a lot of the things in this world of books and podcasts and other things and FOMO and whatever, they rely on other people giving you affirmation. So it's like, oh, you were in this movie or TV show, whatever. And they can cut you. I mean, I have this in this movie that they cut me out of it. Thank God they put me back. When they cut me out, I was really bummed out. And then I was like, Patrick, like pull yourself together. Like it doesn't matter. Like you need to remember like, it's not about what they think of you. It's what you think of you and about creating stuff that people value. They just put your head on straight. It's hard though. Yeah. I will admit it. So yeah. just making sure that you know what's important to you and where your North Star is and not getting distracted by the bright lights and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You struggled so hard to get this thing. And the minute you start to feel success, it's so easy to like go off the rails. Absolutely. Now, and then you've said it now, and that's which leads me to my next question. When you become this successful and can fame, power, whatever that is, and again, it kind of mellows down. How do you keep going and knowing your nature now and what your skill stack is? You're going to keep going hard at it, wherever that is. But what's that North Star now? Did it change? How did you keep going? And how did you hustle differently now, knowing that you've tasted that high? Number one is like, where are we going next? So I don't know where I'm going next. For all I know tomorrow, I, have, uh, I meet up with Elon and he decides he wants to make me CEO of Twitter. Wow. Now, I'm not saying I want that job because frankly, he's messed <laughs> it up. But, but yes. you know, you don't know what's going to come at you, right? And so uh-huh. the world is constantly offering challenges and opportunities. And so you need mm-hmm. to know what you value to be able to kind of process all those things. Like, what do I value? Well, I value balance. I value impact. I value my ideas. I value working with really creative people. So like, if tomorrow somebody is like, do you want to be a managing director at Goldman Sachs? I'd be like, no. I do not, unless it's 10 hours a week and you pay me $3 million, but I don't want to do that. Like that doesn't fit for me. Right. Whereas if somebody's like tomorrow, like you want to um, go on a speaking tour of the world with Sam Bankman-Fried about FOMO, I'd be like, sounds interesting. 
as uh, long as you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, I actually Plus, had that. You're not in the that. same car in the wrong hood. Okay. Well, before he had his downfall, that was in the cards, sadly, but oh, well. All right. That was kind of crazy. <laughs> okay. So that's that. So that's kind of on the, like what to do side. Okay. And then on the other side, I think the really important thing, and like, I'm not perfect at this. Like I'm an everyday struggle on this, but like, I do try to be balanced. Mm. So like I try to sleep. I'm, I've been really focusing on getting more sleep because I am, you know, I love to just stay out all night long. Meditation, working out, eating healthy, you know, healthy, all the, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. That's like super important. So it's like, like an athlete, if you're not in shape, and especially when you do things in the public eye, you want to like, you don't want to look tired. Like, so there's a lot of things like that, but it's hard because like, I love to run around the world and do crazy things all the time and stay up all night. And so like, I really work at that. That's amazing. All right. Last few questions before we go. Just one thing that I really want to understand. So just putting your investing hat on, what changed in your, or did it even change your method of investing in investable startups? Because at the end of the day, again, we talk startups in this podcast and you're going to put your investor hat on. What do you look for? Is it the same team TAM traction or is are there layers under that that you kind of like to unpack? I think in the beginning... I mean, I made some good bets on some good entrepreneurs. I've had a couple of really good ones. And I've had others where the entrepreneur was amazing. It just was the wrong company for that person. And they've gone on to do well in other companies. But I don't think it's changed that radically. What I would say is first-time entrepreneurs tend to make a lot of mistakes. People who are on their second or third, they make mistakes too. But there are things that are like less obvious. Yeah. And so I am much more comfortable with somebody who's been around the block before. And I'm also way more comfortable now. Like in the beginning, I was like just a happy to be like, in a sense, I was like excited for them to take my money. Now I'm like, eh. like I'm looking for things where I really know I understand what they're trying to build deeply. And I know I can help. And I know that the person has really done the work because I've just had so many examples. I mean, I've probably met over the years with at least 500 entrepreneurs. I've seen their pitches Wow, and like, I've had some I missed out on where like they did really well and I was like, shoot. But so many of them, it's like, I love the idea, I love the entrepreneur, but like they just hadn't done the work yet and they've struggled. And these things take 10 years. Also, you're not going to know right away. It's like mm -hmm. the ones that fail take a year, the good ones take 10 years. And so I think it's just, that's been my big thing that I've learned. It's a lot harder than I appreciated in the beginning. That's um, Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Now, other than FOMO, again, I've seen this again. I've stalked you a lot prior to that. that there's this other thing that you also created that never really got the same hype as FOMO, but I feel like it's actually more rampant and it's more mm. applicable to everyone. This is called FOBO. What's FOBO? So FOBO stands for fear of a better option. Mm. And it's the idea that when you're trying to make a decision among perfectly acceptable things, like, you know, it's like I'm trying to pick the hotel that I'm going to stay at on my trip, or I'm trying to pick the TV I'm going to buy for my house or the phone that I want to get, or that what I'm going to have for dinner at the restaurant, like all that stuff, mm -hmm. all the way through to bigger things like, you know, dating apps or whatever. But mm -hmm. it's sort of like, I have a perfectly acceptable thing that I could choose, but instead of choosing that thing, I want to keep looking and looking and looking because what if something better comes along? So I'm fearful that if I choose something, I might make the wrong choice. Yeah. And so as a result, people don't choose anything or they keep delaying and delaying and they keep swiping and swiping. It's an affliction that is caused by the fact that we live in a world of almost limitless choice. That when you go on the internet to buy something, I mean, it's interesting. So when I was in the Philippines, I had a cold 
Okay. And so I went to Metro Drug, I think it's called. Mercury Drug. Yeah, Mercury Drug. Or I went to um, Watson's or something. It was interesting because there's just far less selection than in like a CVS in the United States. Like in the United States, like you go to buy, you want a cough drop and there's like 50 types of cough drops. In the Philippines, (laughs) there was like four types of cough drops. Yep. I couldn't find halls, by the way. So that was a bummer. I'm so (laughs) upset about that. That's what we have. There we have Bix candies, by the way. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. next time. But anyway, it was kind of interesting because like it made it easy. I was like, well, you know, there's just three types of, you know, Robitussin or whatever. But like on the internet, there's a gazillion types. And so like I think that's the problem is like, especially with the world of Amazon and stuff, like you go to Amazon, you want to buy a pair of shoelaces and there's a thousand choices. Yeah. And so that's what Bobo is about. It's about being caught in a world of so many choices that we choose nothing. Sounds mm, good. How do you combat that? Or I mean, a short, skinny version of it. Well, you watch my TED talk. Yes. How to make faster decisions. <laughs> yes. So I'll link do. this in the show notes because this is an amazing explanation. I, I showed it to my wife and she has massive FOBO every day and she makes me decide probably half at a time. Like, all right, you decide. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, that's that, part of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of it. That's why I did this seven minute video. It's amazing because like, I don't know how the heck we got it down to seven minutes. It was like, we worked on that really hard. It's like, that's yeah. a whole process doing a TED video. Yeah. But essentially what you have to do is trick yourself into taking yourself out of the decision-making process. Yes. Because the thing about FOBO is, FOBO is not like, well, I'm choosing between having steak for dinner or you know murdering my cat. You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's like steak or chicken. Well, either is fine. Just choose one. And so you're injecting a lot of drama into the process. And so like, I have these kind of psychology hacks that mm-hmm. allow you to push past the indecision because mm-hmm. whatever you choose is going to be fine. Like if it weren't that way, you would know what you wanted. But mm-hmm. here you're in a place where you're being indecisive among things that are perfectly acceptable. People do it all the time. All right. Last question before I let you go. Patrick, if I gave you the keys to my hustle share time machine, mm-hmm. but this time you're going to meet yourself again and you're going to give yourself an advice on that day where you found out that everything just crumbled at the edge. What would it be the things that you'd be telling yourself, knowing what you know now? Oh, wow. That's a good one. It's hard. Um, I think it's two things that I learned to do that were like not obvious to me in the beginning. And they're going to sound like stupid, but mm-hmm. whatever. That's what not life is, is acknowledging when we get it wrong or we just don't yep. see it. Number yep. one is I think having business partners, a business partner, one, mm-hmm. two, it's hard to do this alone. It's really lonely at times. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it's long. And so like, it's like training for a marathon. Doing it on your own is a lot harder than if you're on a team training. So being a solopreneur is kind of a grind. That's the A. And the B is like ruthlessly focus on monetization. You know, like it's hard to do that in the beginning because you're just trying to figure out what the heck you're doing. But as time has gone on, I've become way more ruthless about like, is this worth my time financially? Right. Some things you do freebies. There's lots of freebies we do in the world, but like I spent a lot of time on things that didn't drive revenue, at least directly. And some of those things did drive revenue indirectly, but half of those things to more, I could have cut out and there'd be no difference. That, But I'm is, curious. I can't help myself. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that is amazing. Thank you so much, Patrick, for racing the podcast for our fourth anniversary. But before I let you go, invite people over of where they can listen to you. What's up next in the realm of the guy behind FOMO? All right. So a lot is on, right? I I have like all these secrets that I can't tell you. 
but I'm working on a new business. I'm working on a new content thing. Those will be 20, inshallah, there'll be mm-hmm. 20, 23 events. I love that you went to Islam on that one. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm all confused you know, now. Yeah. Like, all right, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Pope so, Francis. All right, there you go. <laughs> shukran, shukran. There you go. Yeah. All right. So no, I think the best place to engage with me is on my podcast, which is FOMO Sapiens. That's two words, FOMO Sapiens, which I have. Like Ron, I've been at it for about four years now. Wow, congratulations. I mean, who knew? And then we're going to have Ron on this year. So we're going to talk about what he's been doing and building because I'm a huge fan of what he's up to. So come check out FOMO Sapiens. And then find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis. Mm -hmm. We're going to have some new exciting things launching there. Thanks to Ron and team. So yes. we're collabing. We're doing a collab, a cross-national collab. And I don't want to overwhelm you, but go to those two places. And then you can always find me at patrickguinness.com where I have tons of stuff. And if you want, of course, my book, FOMO, Fear of Missing Out, is available in the Philippines right now. There you go. At that book. What's the bookstore on the Ayala mm. Walk there? Fully booked. Yeah. Ayala, yeah. Ayala City Walk. It's on. I found it there. Mm-hmm. So it's at those places. You can get it. I'm sure you can get it everywhere, but mm-hmm. go to the fancy Ayala malls and you'll start. There you go. It. Fully booked or national bookstore. There's only two that you can grab him again. Patrick, thank you so much. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcast, or any type of podcast app. Just give us a five star. We've been at it for four years now. I'll bring it to you. And we are not stopping anytime soon. And we did say some jargon. Or if you want to see that link to that video that Patrick was talking about, it's going to be the show notes on hustleshare.com. And if also you want to get first dibs on this podcast and the new podcast that we are launching soon called Founders Only, that's how you get first in getting part of the content creation process. And you should go check that out on premium.hustleshare.com. Again, Patrick, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.